Welcome back to another episode of Bloodthirsty Times. My name be Octavius the Second. I'm William the Third. And I'm Emily the Fourth. There you go. Yeah, that's how numbers work. <laughs> Today we are going to be talking about a fan requested story. And it definitely falls under the category of mysterious circumstances. So get ready for a weird-ass tale about ghosts and aliens and time travel as we talk about the Doddleston messages. So make sure you have spell check on and join us in these bloodthirsty times. Serial killers do on a small scale what governments do on a large one. They are a product of the times and these are bloodthirsty times. So like I said earlier, uh, today's story is a ghost story, and I'm sure you guys are super excited about that. That's two in a row for me. How do you feel about that, Emily? I'm so excited. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice. <laughs> I'm so excited, and I just can't hide it. Like that? I know. Em this is yes. ghost stories and the, and the paranormal alien are Emily's favorite things to talk about. She just loves them so much. She's a true believer. Definitely. That's what I would call myself. Yeah. True believers. Of bullshit. What? <laughs> yeah. Well, what? No, nothing. Huh? No, nothing. Didn't say nothing. Who said that? <laughs> it must have been Richard. So, uh, um, pissed off in the corner. Play today. <laughs> yeah. I played no tickling the ivory spring. He's just like, oh, I hate when you guys have a long story. Uh, so like I said, it's a ghost story, but I guess it's also it's it's also not a ghost story. It's a sci-fi story, but it's also it's also not a sci-fi story. It's weird, and it's literally like nothing else we have ever talked about before. But first, I just want to give a shout out to Henry V, who not only told us about this story, but when I I literally could not find like an audiobook or even like a hard copy for less than six hundred dollars. So Henry sent us a PDF of the whole book. So shout out to Henry. Thank you for supplying that. I really appreciate it. I, I say I appreciate it because you gave it to us, but it's this book is something else. I don't even know what to make of this book, dude. Honestly, this was a trip for sure. Uh, but like, okay, side note though, it turns out that I have been spoiled by Audible and it was actually incredibly hard to read this book. Like, it was on my phone and I had to like literally read the book. It wasn't read to me and uh, it took me forever. I'm not gonna lie to you. It took me forever. So I downloaded an app called Speechify that read it to me. Like we, we aren't sponsored by Speechify, although that would be nice, but uh, it's a neat app that helped me tremendously for this episode, even though it was weird. Hmm. Anyways, so so the book that Henry sent me and Speechify read to me is called The Vertical Plane, and it is written by this guy named Ken Webster, 
The book is about Ken Webster and what he says happened to him across the pond in a town. Actually, it's it's more uh, it's in England, so I think it's a village. Plus, it's super tiny, so I think village would be more accurately describing this place called Doddleston. And uh, this takes place in 1984. Well, it starts in 1984. It goes over the course of like, let's say about two years. Um, and actually, I'm not even sure if Doddleston is how you pronounce it because I have heard Speechify, which basically is Siri talking to you or reading the book to you. And uh, Speechify pronounced it as Doddleston. So, you know, I listened to Doddleston for the past week in my ears. And so it, just, it takes whatever it thinks. It just, I think it just literally translates into, <laughs> like, it just, it doesn't have any kind of accent to it and it actually made for a very difficult time. Hmm. Uh, so in all in all, this story is also known as the Doddleston Messages and you can find a YouTube video or two about it. Uh, sorry, Doddleston. The Doddleston, mes- Doddleston Messages. Yeah. Dodle- Doddleston. I was yeah. going to say Doodleston, so I'm glad somebody spoke up. <laughs> <laughs> There's not even two O's. <laughs> Dodleston. Dod. We try to say it like Siri would. Dodleston. <laughs> that's too. That's not computery enough. Dodleston. <laughs> Type it and say how do you sound, say it. Now there was a uh, like back in the Garmin days. Um, I used to live near a street called Bass and Sherry, and. <laughs> The uh, the app would always say Bastanchery. <laughs> it's the same, the same, same principle. It's like, yeah. turn left on Bastanchery. I'm like, I don't know a street called Bastanchery. Yeah, it's funny because Speechify, like uh, while Speechify was reading to me, I would look at the, the PDF of the book so like I could keep pace with it and like try to understand it in my own terms. Because like I said, I'm completely spoiled by Audible. So I need it in my ears now at this point. But anyway, so I would keep up with it. And in my head like the words that i would pronounce normally speechify i was just saying it all kinds of weird (laughs) like and there's a lot of misspellings in this book so uh it it literally read like it says king a lot of times but it's spelled with a y so it says kang the kang (laughs) calls the i'm just like the what and then i'm like oh it's king but it's just spelled all stupid oh so yeah that's weird it was very weird. You're telling me. It took me a very long time to get through this. This is why I'm just now doing it, Henry. It was it was brutal to get through. I'm not going to lie to you. Not only because of the speechify and the actual reading, but the story itself is is it, it's it's just crazy. It, it's I don't even know how to describe this story. It's it's so fucking out there. Um. So yeah. Uh. Without further ado, let's just jump on into this. Whatever this is. So, our story starts out in September of 1984 with Ken, every time I say the 80s again, huh? (laughs) With Ken, who is a teacher at a local school, and his girlfriend Debbie, and his friend Nick, who is a girl who just returned from Africa, and she's also a teacher, and she's staying in Ken's spare bedroom. Um, But the spare bedroom is also where Ken keeps his electric guitar and recording, recording equipment, uh, which he also allows his fellow musicians. I don't know if they have a band exactly, but they play together. And uh, these other musicians are allowed to come in and out of his house whenever and just like use the equipment. Uh, and they can just let themselves in and just leave whenever. So uh, whenever Nick is not in there, usually his bandmates are. 
So Ken is in the process of remodeling his quaint little cottage. And this cottage is very old. And actually, this whole area is very old. And it's uh, it's a part of England, like I said, called Doddleston, which is in the west part of England, south of Liverpool, and pretty much on the border to Wales. Actually, I think the school, it's so close. Like, the school that uh, Ken worked at was in Harden. It's either Harden or Howarden. I don't know if which is the correct way of pronouncing it. Again, Speechify has made me stupid. So it's spelled Howarden, H-A-W-A-R-D-E-N, but I've heard it pronounced just Harden. So it, that is in Wales. And again, I'm not an expert in this area. So if I'm wrong, please feel free to yell at me. You know, considering I, last episode, I was talking about all our European fans, right? So please feel free to correct me. Um, I've heard both ways. And again, Speechify has destroyed my brain. So Ken is enjoying having Nick stay over uh, for company, but also so she can help with the remodel, you know, painting and whatnot. So they wake up one morning and Nick notices that there are random footprints going up the kitchen wall. The whole thing is very odd. And Ken was kind of annoyed, like who the fuck has been putting their feet up on my wall not to mention how high up the footprints go like they're almost to the top so when deb sees them uh she says hey look those feet have six toes and they all sort of laugh it off and just paint it over the footprints and then they forget all about it wait just kinda... just, instead of wiping them they're like now fuck it well, I mean, they're remodeling anyway. They're remodeling anyway. That's dirty feet on the wall, and they're painting over it. That's gross. They're dirty six-toed feet. <laughs> it's like it's like just putting a rug over spilt milk, like that. Yeah. Or, or like Big Big Daddy just put the newspaper over the milk yeah. or over yeah. the bed. Yeah. So, yeah, the next morning, uh, the feet were back on the wall. And what's weird is that these weren't in the same place. So it's not like the paint just rubbed off. These were new footprints in a whole different place. And again, they had six toes. Uh, so, I mean, no one had any answers about how six-toed uh, footprint appeared and reappeared in different locations. So they all kind of just laughed it off again. And I don't know if it was just nervousness. Um, they kind of just decided that one of them must be sleepwalking. Like, so... They painted over it again. But now... They their shoes off to see who has six toes. <laughs> which one of you bastards has six toes? <laughs> Prove which it. Which one of you can, do, can defy physics if you're yeah. sleeping? <laughs> I know. It, it literally... Walk when I saw... Balls. When I saw like a depiction of it, because I couldn't see a picture, but when I saw a depiction of it, it looked like someone held like a kid, but with a giant... So with a giant foot. And then like as they walked up the wall, they supported them and like pushed them as high up as they could. Like it was really high up. <laughs> So strong. Yeah. So like this is freaky, right? And like they were just like I said, laughing it off, but they were still really freaked out. And even if they wouldn't admit it, all of them avoided the kitchen at night. <laughs> just, you know, that's weird. I'm just not gonna go in there anymore at nighttime. <laughs> so why. yeah. So the footprints never returned, but two days later they were out at the store, and when they returned home, they found that someone had organized some cat food tins that they had stored in a cupboard and the tins were kind of just in there no particular order just kind of thrown in there but now they were stacked like a pyramid and at the very top was like three extra tins so the pyramid had like a pointed top of like three extra cans and at this point 
They were looking for any kind of explanation about what just happened, and the only logical explanation they could come up with was that one of the dudes who used the recording equipment, specifically a guy named John, was fucking with Ken since John had a crush on Ken's girlfriend, Deb. Now, this seemed like a plausible explanation until two nights later, there was another stacking. This time, it was a tower, like a straight column, with a couple of two-liter bottles and some more cat food stacked on top of it. And there was like kitchen roll, whatever a kitchen roll is, they, they stacked it on top of there. I don't know if it meant like a rolling pin or maybe like a piece of bread, a roll, kitchen roll. I don't know what a kitchen roll is, but whatever <laughs> it is, was at the top. So, so they are defying physics. And yeah, they very much are, and which is why they said there's no way John, of all people, was clever enough to stack these items so perfectly. Like, it just was out of the realm of what's what they considered physically impossible for John, at least. So they kind of ruled him out in that sort of way. Not really, but they're like, there's no way John could have done this. Like, this is way too intricate, I guess. So at this point, everyone in the cottage was paranoid about pretty much everything. This cottage is super old, and of course, it's going to have all kinds of noises, but uh, now every single creak or weird sound was suspicious. Then Deb thought she, she saw a shadow pass by her window. And on that same night later, they also both randomly woke up at the same time because both Ken and Deb both got the feeling that they were not alone in the room. But of course, when they looked, nothing was there. They also started having cold spots around the house and then suddenly, while they were sitting by the fireplace, they felt a strong wind come from under the kitchen door. Even though they checked, there was no windows or doors open. So where did that draft come from? It was, it was strong enough to like lift newspapers up off the ground and like send it floating. Um, I don't know if I, I go back to the video game and open up my uh, ghost book, cold spots, and physical movements. Uh, it's a demon. Sounds right. Sounds like a demon. Yeah, <laughs> my memory's bad. Could not be a demon. Could be a demon. Could be a demon. Could not be a demon. I don't know. It could be nothing. It could be a sandwich. It, it could be. Yeah. Or a kitchen roll. <laughs> Whatever that is. <laughs> Whatever a kitchen roll is, that is what's wrong with the whole thing. So now recently, we have talked about Poltergeist with Barrel Normal Podcast, and this sounds like more of the same, but this is kind of really where the similarities end because a perk of working as a school teacher in 1984 is that Ken can take full advantage of Margaret Thatcher's push to make computers normalized, which meant Ken could sign out a BBC microcomputer, which is essentially a word processor. And at this school, there were at least eight different machines he could check out which is a very important detail for later in the story. These microcomputers came with a chip called Edward. Edward. And Ken had suggested Nick use one of those machines instead of a typewriter to aid in her goals of achieving enough creative credits to start a cabaret band. So Ken brought one of those bad boys home, and Nick was all excited and shit, which reminds me of one time back in the day. It had to be around, like, 94 or 95 maybe earlier. I was still living. My sister wasn't born yet. So we were still in like San Bernardino. Anyway. So I had won the great honor of bringing home an old Mac during summer break. And basically all I used it for was to play a fuck ton of Oregon trail, but I digress. That was my favorite game. 
Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I think that was the only floppy disk game I had anyway. So that's the reason I played it so much. But Wait, it was a floppy disk game? Yes. Oh, I don't remember that. I thought it just came on the computer. Sorry. Yeah, it was a floppy disk. I don't remember. I was just, I didn't know. Yeah, it was a floppy disk. Yeah, I could have swore. I remember there's like a, there was like a black cover on it, like a sticker and then like green writing over it, I think. I just remember that on the computer. I don't know. Maybe I never took it out. Heck, mm, sounds know. like sounds like privilege to me. I don't know. <gasps> Anyways. Bunching my pearls. I would never be privileged. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Of course you don't. One day, <laughs> they had taken a trip to a friend's house and spent the day having a few drinks and hanging out, maxing, and relaxing, all cool, and watching TV because they apparently at the cottage did not have a TV. So later that day, they drove back to the little, cot- little cottage and realized Nick had left the microcomputer on and Ken checked the files to see Nick's work and realized there was a file that appeared that he did not recognize. This file was labeled as KDN and Ken clicked on it. And what popped up is one of the strangest things anybody could find on a microcomputer. It was a poem, I guess, but it was written very strangely. And this is what it said. In Deb Nick, true are the nightmares of a person that fears safe are the bodies of the silent world. Turn, pretty flower, toward turn towards the sun, for you shall grow and sow. But the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. Get out your bricks, pussycat, pussycat. Went to London to seek fame and fortune. Faith must not be lost, for shall be your redeemer. Sorry, I have no idea. No, that was perfect. That was honestly spot on for how weird this is so yeah uh, this was really weird it's really very weird but nobody knew who had written it and nobody had any answers um after this again they just kind of put it to the back of their minds just like the footprints are like fuck it we'll just forget about it you know it's weird but whatever then a few weeks passed christmas came and went then in early spring of 1985 ken checked out another microcomputer so he could draw up some kind of like agreement with his musician buddies. And then just like last time, they left the computer on. It was an accident, according to Ken. But when they got back, they decided to look at the computer to see if there was a new file. Because at this point, they still suspected this was some kind of prank by John. When they looked, they found a new file called Reate. And this message was a little bit different than the first one. This one had more of an old timey, like old English vibe to it. I write on behalf thee of Maine, what strange words thou speak, although I must confess that it hath also been ill-schooled. Sometimes methinks altercations are somewhat baffled, for they break many asleeps in mine bed. Thou art goodly man who hath fanciful women who dwell in mine home, and I hath no want to affray, for online sight <laughs> mine half witted antic has ripped a twain mine bound hath I been at a night. <laughs> I hath seen many altercations, lastly charge house in thy home. Tis a fitting place with lights which devil maketh in costly things. That online mine friend, Edmund Gray, can afford the king himself was a great crime to hath bribed mine house. L.W. I, uh, for, just for the record, I left that message completely intact. I did not, 
uh, <laughs> translated for Will. I just want to see how he did. I think I left one more for him to try to figure out. But uh, after that, <laughs> I translated the rest of them. So it's not as confusing because the way it is written is very, um, like I said, old-timey English. Like it says, uh, only is spelled O-N-L-I-E. Um, like many is spelled M-A-Y-M-A-N-Y-E. It's just really weirdly spelt and definitely not of this time. But um, Ken and Deb had tried their best and they translated it to plain English. And this is what they came up with. I write on the behalf of many. What strange word do you speak? Although I must confess that I too have been badly educated. Sometimes it seems changes are somewhat obstructive. For many a time, they disturb me in they disturb me sleeping in my bed. You are a worthy man who has a fanciful woman and you live in my house. I have no wish to alarm you, for it is only since the half-witted fool trick ripped apart my confines had I been tormented at night. I have seen so many changes, lastly the schoolhouse and your home. It is a fitting place with lights which the devil makes and costly things which only my friend Edmund Gray can afford or the king himself. It was a great crime to have stolen my house. LW. Even that was kind of difficult. Yeah, that, I mean, that translated as best they could into plain English. Um, it's obviously not going to translate perfectly, but it is. They did. they do their best. So it seems from that last message, whoever it is that's writing thinks Ken and Deb are in his house. The remodeling they are doing is keeping him up at night and basically accuses them of having lights that the devil made and other things that only rich people can afford. But most importantly, it was signed LW. Now, there are a ton of these messages and we aren't going to read all of them, just ones I think are most relevant or fun. I put in there a few ones that I thought were just funny. I just wanted Will to read stuff in old English accent. Um, so nice. that's going to be fun. Um, but it it's just... It's, it's very strange, isn't it? Like, it just received this message message, in this way? Yeah, it's very weird. How did they learn how to type? Mm. Or were they? Yeah, they were. How we, or, use a, or use a microcomputer. Okay, so it doesn't really give anything away, but it, it turns out, at the very end, um, this person, LW, admits that they aren't typing, per se. They are speaking, and the machine on the other side types it for him so it's it's like mm. text to speech or speech oh. to text so like that's, but we don't find that out until like pretty much the very end i don't i don't remember writing that down so it's fine that i tell you because i'll just forget anyway but um yeah we find out much much later that uh it's like speech to text so it's i don't know where the spelling is coming from in this fanciful way maybe it's just relevant to the time period i but, think they're gangster because they replace Y or replace I with Y. I think that's just how old old speak was. I don't know. Well, their dictation. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't. They didn't have eyes back then. It was all Y's. Like uh, what's that? Ye old time. Yeah. Whatever. Anyways, so again, because they figured there was no way John was clever enough to write in this style, Ken, who still thought this was some kind of hoax, decided to show these messages to. So messages to some co-workers and one man in particular took an interest in these messages since he was well versed in old english this man's name was peter trinder and from the very beginning he was very helpful because even if this was some kind of hoax it was still very fascinating 
Ken also told another friend named John Cummins, and John wanted to take a more direct approach, so he got out a piece of paper, grabbed a pen, and wrote down a few questions. But of course, he thought we must include the current date since clearly the messages were old-timey. And this is what he wrote to whoever wrote the first message. In the reign of Queen Elizabeth II, dear LW, thank you for your message. We are sorry for disturbing you. What would you like us to do? Did you live in a house on this land in about 1620? Do you want us to tell you more about our time? Why write a poem? Who is Edward Gray? Is he related to the Egerton family? Do you have a family? Is the King James Earl, is the King James Earl Charles Stuart? What is the charge house? Was this a village called Doddleston in your life? Was there a village? Yeah. Called Doddleston in your mm-hmm. life. And how many families live there? Thank you very much for your messages. Thank you for not making us afraid. Ken, Debbie, and John. So there was no reply that day, and John had to leave, so they said their goodbyes. And pretty much as soon as he left, uh, they checked the computer, and of course, there was a reply, which could be taken as bad timing on John's part or could be seen as convenient that a message appears when the extra person is no longer there. They read the reply, so they called John on the phone, and they read the reply out loud. And John wrote it down as they read it to, to him, but somehow the document got deleted. I don't know if they accidentally pushed a button, but the whole message was really was deleted. So the following is the reply that John of what John managed to write down and what Ken and Debbie remembered of the message. And this is what that said. Twas an honest farm of oak and stone, and it is helpful that you should tell me about thy time. Dost thou hath horse? Edmund Gray, brother of John Gray, lives at Kinnerton Hall. Thy king, of course, is Henry the Eighth, who is six and forty. I knew woot of King James. Mine charge house is a place of lure, schooling. Signed L. W. Twenty eighth March, anno fifteen twenty one. Hmm. Wow. So this message was particularly interesting because it gives way more exact information. However, it turns out this was not accurate information at all. Ken, who was somewhat knowledgeable when it came to King Henry VIII, knew that the dates and age given about L.W.'s king was not what he knew as historically accurate. And, you know, they thought maybe they just remembered the message wrong because, like I said, it got deleted, so maybe they remembered it wrong or, or something. But honestly, probably not because in a later message, L.W. calls them out for not calling him out and admits he told them mistruths and actually mocks them for not knowing that he had spelled things incorrectly. But keep in mind, while these messages are continuing, um, things are still getting weirdly stacked in the kitchen and other things are getting moved. So this whole time they're receiving these messages, there's still poltergeist activity happening in the house. And the next message they received said... Mine goodly friend, I mustn't need say how cometh this, that there are many things for which I hast no reckoning. Methinketh it, that if thou cannot tell thee for what art in mine home, then I can name or help yow than if mine wits <laughs> had gone. <laughs> Woo! I hath no kinfolk to find. Mine wit was wretched with thou <laughs> pestilence and my lord distaker stolen her unborn son. Mine farm tis humble, but it hath a pretty parcel of land. It hath red, 
stone footings and clean rushes on mine beaten floor. This season I hath much to do. I hath to sow mine barley for mine ale. Tis this is mine craft, and for which I am best at I fancy. Also I hath to go to Nantwich, to mine <laughs> couth friend... <laughs> <laughs> Richard Wishall, whose farm be so great as to turn a four-year rotation of fallow. I do so envy him, he hath much there, but not thou deletes me more than his cheese. It cannot be equaled by any other for pleasantness of taste and wholesomeness of digestion. I shall ask all out Nancy Witch Market, tis not so great as Caesar Market, by thou's Creos, but tis of some disport I shall need to go to Cetri this season to get mine. So's my goodly friend Thomas Alter say, a tailor by craft, makes them sometimes I make it so, but none of mine. <laughs> I'm going German. <laughs> I know you went German a long time ago. <laughs> oh, no, German. Oh, God. It's hard to do old English. It is hard. <clears throat> but none of mine swine already, tis far too costly unless I need kill. Or do you know what the country of Sistry? The Watergate is a place that bringeth many traders. Tis a shame that port thou shrinketh. I can record great ships now that grow small by each tide, but Sistry port is still greater than old Liverpool, and I am oft of the east wall of Sistry, Cow Lane. Tis not so tiresome there. Then by thou cross that is when mine fowl or swine doth now trip up mine poor body, I hear tell that thou <laughs> art a teacher. In how when doth y'all meaneth? <laughs> this is so difficult. It is very difficult. Doth thou still earn thy greatly sum of twenty pounds per year? I record mine unfavorable Dean Henry Mann, who is likened to a fish, if any boy shall appear naturally. A verse learning after fair trial, he shall be expelled elsewhere, lest like a drone he should devour the bee's honey. Nay, I cannot make merry on holy day for fear of mine life. Mine friend was once a floating on a holy day, and did hath his ears pinned to thy woodblock. Methinks when thou savest Doddleston, thou meanest Doodleston, mine queen, is of course Catherine Pa Lucas. That was, a, that was the last one. I'm going to have you read like that. That was fun, yeah. though. That the other ones are translated for you, but oh, that one had me sweating. That one's <laughs> difficult. This is what I'm saying. The book was so hard to read because <laughs> there's so many of these. But uh, anyways, you did that, so good, Will. You did good. Thank so you. that's that's the last one where I have you read all weird the weird spellings. Uh, it'll be translated. I, just, I don't know why I always default to German. German. <laughs> Anytime anything slightly European, here comes yeah. uh, Wilhelm. Wilhelm, all German, speak old English. <laughs> So anyways, uh, that whole message translates to My goodly friend, I must needs say, how is it that there are many ages of which I have no knowledge? It seems to me that if you cannot say why are you why you're in my house, then I can no more help you than if my wits had gone. I have no kinfolk I can tell you about. My wife was taken with the present pestilence and the Lord did her soul and her, I thought that said unicorns. The Lord so. did take her soul. Are you having trouble with this? <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm trying not to, sorry. But yeah, um, I don't speak stupid or read it. It's very difficult. Okay. 
take her soul and her unborn son. My farm is humble, but it has a parcel of land. It has redstone footings and clean rushes on the beaten floor. This season I have much to do. I have to sow my barley early for my ale. It is that it is that, that is my craft in which I am best at as I fancy. Also, I have to go to not Nantwich. 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 To my unknown, fr- to my I'm sorry, to my known friend Richard Wishel, whose farm is so great as to allow him a four-year rotation of fallow. I do so envy him. He has much there, but nothing that delights me more than his cheese, and cannot be equal equaled by any other pleasantness of taste and wholesomeness of digestion. I shall also call at Nantwich Market. It is not so great as Chester Market by the Cross, but it is of some interest. I shall need to go to Chester this season to get my shoes. My goodly friend Thomas Aldersay, a tailor by craft, makes them sometimes. I also make shoes, but none of my swine are ready. It is far too costly unless I kill. I need kill one. Do you know the country of Chester, the Watergate, is a place that brings many traders it is a shame the port does not does shrink i can remember oh my god it's like a fucking run-on sentence sorry remember great ships now that this gets smaller by the tide but chester pool chester port is still greater than that of liverpool i am open to the east wall of chester cow lane it is not so tiresome there than by the cross that it is when my fowl or swine do not trip up my poor body i hear tell i hear tell that you are a teacher in howarden i remember you saying earlier howarden do you mean hordine howardine hairdine oh jesus i didn't know do you still earn the great sum of 20 pounds per year i remember my unpleasant dean henry mann who is likened to a fish Anybody, any boy shall appear naturally averse to learning after fair trail. He shall be expelled elsewhere. God. Trial? <laughs> trial. What is happening? Are you having a stroke? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I'm like reading it in my head in Will's voice that he just read that was, is not mistranslated. So it's difficult to keep up with my own brain at this point. That's strange. Yeah, it's also like a on your brain. can run on sentence. It's just like reading yeah. words. Again, just read words. Yes, it's it's just regular words. Okay, I don't even remember what it was now. Just from there. If yeah, just any boy. Mm. Oh, if any boy shall appear naturally averse to learning after for trial, he shall be air exp- trial. <laughs> That's what I said. You said for for trial. Fair trial. I said trial. after fair trial. Oh my gosh, he shall expelled elsewhere, lest like a drone he should devour the bees, honey. Nay, I cannot make merry on holy day for fear of my life as a friend was, was once. What? A, a fluting. A fluting. Why do you have a dash? I don't have a dash. This is from the Okay, book. a fluting on a holy day and just have his ears pinned to the woodblock. I think when you say Doddleston, you mean Duddleston? My queen is, of course, Catherine Parr. Lucas, holy fuck. don't have me read anything else. Uh, you have a lot more to read. <laughs> so awesome. <laughs> Sorry, that was terrible. 
No, it's I'm telling you, this book was difficult to read, even with the uh, translation that they did for us. Like it, it the whole book is like this. It's really weirdly written by Ken because he's not an author. He's just a dude in Doddleston in 1985. But then you have this weirdly spelt and strangely worded messages. Like the whole thing is surreal. Like it's really out there. And like, again, I can't stress it enough. It was difficult as fuck to read. So now we have a first name, Lucas. But Ken couldn't help but still think there was someone laughing to themselves at Ken's expense. But nonetheless, he kept showing the messages to Peter and John. And in his next reply, he was, uh, I can't read my own writing now, um, too old, dude, if he's from the year, oh, so he was told, like the messages essentially said, dude, is if you're from the year 1521, how is it that you know how to use a computer? Like, to which Lucas basically replied, like, don't ask questions you don't want the answers to, kid. Um, but essentially, what happens is that he, Lucas, can see Ken and Deb and Nick use the machine, which leads to so many more questions. Like, what is happening here? How is it that Lucas can see what's happening in 1985? Because in future messages, he talks about things he can see happening in the home and makes comments about Deb's looks. I don't know if it's the microcomputer itself that is allowing messages to be sent across four centuries. Because if you remember, Ken had eight different computers to choose from, and it wasn't a guarantee he would get the same machine every single time. If it's just the messages that are time traveling, how can Lucas see what's happening in the future? Does time continuously repeat itself and the veil is just thin here? So two people in the same exact place are experiencing time simultaneously? Or is this just a basic time travel thing? Like, what the fuck is happening here? It's, it's super know, strange. I'm, I'm, I'm too stupid to know. Yeah, this is... You can see how this is very convoluted as it is, right? Mm-hmm. This whole thing is very confusing. Like, how come Lucas can see Ken and Deb in their home, but they can't see Lucas? And why doesn't it work both ways? I, the whole thing is super, super strange. So, eventually, as the messages keep coming in, they find out that LW is the initials of Lucas Wayman. But in between messages and times when he didn't have the computer, they would search through history books and talk to Peter about what he knows about the words used and factually and factual information given. So, in that vein, they went to Oxford College and anywhere they could find local histories, but not once did they come across any records of a man named Lucas Wayman. They felt as though that could be a good thing, you know, because how convenient would it have been for anybody perpetrating this as a hoax to just go out and pick a famous name in the village history? You know, because as it turns out, when they asked the librarian about where they could find information of the village history, they were informed by the librarian that someone else had recently been looking for similar information. So they really took the name Lucas Wayman as a good sign that this was not made up because like I said, you can't just find Lucas Wayman in any history book. So it's not like they just picked a famous name out of a a book and ran with it. But it's like they were hoping that they were really just speaking to a regular 16th century dude that just happened to live in the same cottage as Ken and Deb just four centuries earlier. Uh, So along with actual history, Ken also decided to entertain all avenues and checked out books about hauntings and especially poltergeists. He found out that poltergeists could remain for months and actually develop destructive tendencies. They could even bite. But 
The book he was reading reassured him that the type of activity, meaning fighting, was rare, but the things they had been experiencing, like random noises and the stacking phenomenon, were quite typical of a poltergeist. And at this point in our podcasting careers, we have talked many times about how poltergeists are a product of young people, particularly adolescent women. And as it turns out, Ken's girlfriend Deb was a good 10 years younger, which meant Deb was actually only 19 when all this was going on. And even furthermore, it actually became apparent that a lot of things that were happening actually centered around Deb like when she was in the home or speaking directly to her or when she was alone anywhere. So it centered around Deb. And as we will see in a little while, it wasn't just Ken's bandmate that fancied Deb, but also the 400-year-old Englishman did too. Ooh, spicy. It's getting heat. It's getting heat. It's getting hot in here. It's getting heat in here? It's getting heat in here. No one can speak today. So along with noises and stacking, it is actually not unheard of that the poltergeist could leave messages, like actual written words. And from what I understand, you're not supposed to engage with the poltergeist by responding or even acknowledging the poltergeist's existence. Otherwise, you're just feeding in, feeding into the energy for the price of free fitting. You're just giving the poltergeist free energy by acknowledging it and interacting with it. So obviously the more you put into it, the more strength this poltergeist could ostensibly have. So obviously, with Ken excitedly responding to any messages and getting so many scholarly people involved, whether they believed it was a hoax or not was irrelevant because they were feeding into the phenomenon regardless. They even started to sleep with lights on because they had scared themselves with all the ghost research they were doing. On top of all this, Deb had found out that their little cottage was incredibly close to not one, but two ley lines. And ley lines are just supposed to be like spiritual, uh, like highways, I guess. I don't know how to describe ley lines. I'm not, I don't, I don't really know how to describe what they are. Uh, yeah, it's like the Audubon for ghosts. Yeah, it's supposedly ley lines go across the entire world. And if you try hard enough, you can connect important uh, archaeological or historical sites throughout the world, like the, like the Nazca lines or something. And like the, it's said that all the, pyramids are connected on ley lines it's a whole thing i don't know it's a whole yeah. to do yeah it is it is a lot to do with ghosts I, I don't understand it quite frankly i don't know maybe uh maybe baron normal can explain it to you i don't know i can't so in february of 1985 deb had started renting her own place which i'm sure was a nice break from living in a ghost house where stuff would move even if they just turned their back for a second they would just turn around. The kitchen roll would be somewhere else. And uh, the kitchen roll. Dude, the kitchen roll would just be gone. Fuck the kitchen roll. Oh, no. <laughs> so Ken would stay there on the weekends uh, or stay there. And then on the weekends, he would go back to the cottage because he wanted to check out a computer. And at this point, checking out, checking out a computer was pretty much strictly for the sole purpose to continue their time traveling conversations. So he would go back to the cottage on weekends and just leave it out and see what happened. So Ken had asked Lucas a couple questions about his life and what he did. And Lucas responded with answers about his farm life and made a comment about he, how he liked Ken's joke about his horseless carriage. Because apparently Ken had tried his best to explain cars. But then he says uh, that Lucas's servant says 
that he's acting like a seer and says he shouldn't talk to anybody about what he is experiencing because remember, in the 16th century, anybody could accuse you of being a witch or something. What makes you think she is a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt. A newt. We got better. <laughs> Burn her See, anyone can accuse you of anything, even if they just put a fake nose and dress you up like a witch. So, Lucas's servant recommended that Lucas write a book about his experiences with this, what they call the Ling's voice, which translates to Box of Lights. And the strange future folk, like, just write a whole book about the whole thing, about the future people, about the Box of Lights, and... Um, but that, think about it, that would mean that if Lucas at any point wrote a book, they likely would have heard about it or came across it since since the beginning of these conversations, they started researching life in the past, you know, really dove deep into local histories, but not once did they ever come across a book written by a Lucas Wayman. So, hmm. so I, I don't know. It could be because like he didn't write the book, uh, but it also c could be that if he did write the book, it was just never published. Like it's just like a single copy and it's like hiding in somebody's floorboards or like in a, random spot in a oxford library or something you know i don't know it also could be bullshit i don't fucking know so ken responded to lucas by leaving out a picture of a jaguar xj coupe from a magazine which was actually the type of car that ken drove because apparently ken was just like a huge fan of jaguars um so he left out this magazine picture for lucas to see and lucas responded my goodly friend, I have oh. found thy oh. card. Yes. Yeah, you, you can read the whole thing. I was going to, I forgot to change. You can just read that if you want. Huh? You can just read the, this one if you want. That's the translator. I forgot to take that uh, one. Oh, okay. Yeah, if you want. My good friend, I have found your picture of the card, but it is a crude thing for without the horse, it won't go far. Tell me what unknown wood is this? It is like silk. I cannot describe it better. Yeah, so the wood that Lucas is referring to was like the silk, the magazine paper, you know, that's glossy finish. Mm -hmm. So that's that's what he thinks. It's like silk. This wood is silk. It's the magazine glossy finish that the car was printed on. But uh, most interestingly, when Ken saw the magazine picture, it was all burnt around the edges and actually showed signs of it being heated all over the picture and when he picked it up it felt so brittle that he felt like it would just disintegrate in his hands but in lucas's next message he claimed to have been a student at jesus college but this too was factually impossible because that particular college didn't come about till 1571 which was 50 years after lucas said was his year because remember his first message that he responded was in 1521 and uh but this is where lucas calls them out my friend, pray, what strange demon are you? I am so confused. You are godly, I feel, but your lies frighten me much. You said you are alive, but this is not so. I have no wish to accuse you, but you said also that you are an educated man and that you know of my friend Erasmus, but you do not mention my misspelt words. Now, if you were alive, you would say 
You know not of Jesus' college. You also spoke of power of which I have no knowledge. Where does this power come from? And what did you study in your place of learning? Where is it? Because if you do not explain this to me, then I must make an end to my words with you. This would cause me much despair. It is not that I make you afraid. It is that makes me afraid. Lucas. See, it's interesting to me that Lucas is like, oh, by the way, it's not you that is afraid, but it is you that is frightening me. Like, it's ironic, isn't it? Like, we never considered yeah. Lucas's aspect of it. We just considered the Ken's version of it. Yeah, and he's saying all these like weird things. Like, the yeah. heck? I'm sure you. I'm sure too because we talked about this like Ken, Lucas can see what Ken and Deb are doing in in the uh in the cottage so does this like appear as like a like a full-figured apparition to him or can he just like see it as if he's in the room with him like I don't understand how that works it's never really explained either but um what, what's interesting is that it this ironically coincides with the poltergeist activity churning things up to 11 this message and it was actually becoming more of a nuisance than anything. Like this has been going on for a couple months now and it's just starting to get fucking annoying. So Ken was starting to feel weird like he wasn't himself. He, this is how he explains it in the book. It says he, he knew that he wasn't himself because he was making weird choices. Like the fact that his favorite color was like dark blue, but he bought an orange XJ coupe. Like I would never do that. I wouldn't. I would buy it. My favorite color is dark blue. Why do I own an orange XJ coupe? Like I am acting weird. Like that is seriously one of the things he uses as proof that he wasn't himself. Is that he, he bought an orange XJ coupe. Yeah, he must have some money. Yeah. I was going to say that. I not remember. Or I think he's not remembering. Yeah. I don't know. Like I said, he's just an XJ fan. So I think this makes sense to me that he bought an orange XJ coupe because it was probably affordable and it was an XJ coupe. I don't think he really exactly. cared about the uh, color. They don't have a dark blue one. All right, I'll take an orange one. I, I guess I'll take an orange one. Whatever. <laughs> but uh, in Lucas's next message, he asked to speak directly to Peter, since Peter knew how to write in Old English. So again, we're thinking about it from Ken's perspective that he's sending uh, messages back in normal 1985 English from England. So. Um, Lucas is having a hard time reading and understanding the future words. So he wants to talk to Peter, who he knows uh, can write enough, well enough in Old English, in you know 16th century English, for Lucas to understand him better. So they get a hold of Peter. And, um, you know, so he spoke directly to Deb in this next part. I don't... He asked for Peter, but before Peter could respond, he writes this to Deb. Again, just read the uh, translation. Okay. My goodly woman, you are well-schooled, I think, for a woman, but rather a tomboy <laughs> in some way. I do not wish to be offensive to yourself, for you are a most perfect partner. That would satisfy any man, but you must know your place and serve my friend well. Next, you will say you have a cart tiger and or can travel on some unnatural bird. <laughs> Still doesn't make sense to me even in plain English. <laughs> nope. Not at all. Like, the hell's a cart tiger? I don't know what a, I don't know. I was about to say, I don't know what an unnatural bird is, but I, I, I guess that explains itself. <laughs> it's an unnatural bird. So many I guess confusing he's, things. I guess that's referring to the uh, jaguar, maybe, because it's a cart tiger, a jaguar. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
And so he's mocking him and say, you have a cart tiger or even you can travel on some unnatural bird. So, yeah, he's just I think that one's just mocking him a little bit. So when Peter finally showed up, Lucas had left a message for him, but this time it wasn't on the computer. No, this time Lucas had left a message in chalk on the wall. So when Peter responded to the computer, they discovered that Lucas and Peter were about the same age because apparently Lucas could see Peter. Again, somehow Lucas can see in the cottage in the future. Uh, And so he looked older just like him. So they talked about it and they discovered that they were both 50 years old. After Peter's involvement, Ken had decided that he was going to write to the Society for Psychical Research, or SPR for short. On March 25th of 1985, um, he was going to write this letter to him. Meanwhile, Deb started having dreams where she could see Lucas and she could only describe it as odd. Apparently, Lucas had experienced this as well because the next message he left was like a love poem seemingly about Deb. Then, for some reason, Lucas's tone got real serious and said that he has been advised not to continue talking to the future because it was a capital crime against the crown. So he was told that he should have a witness to the lights box to prove this was not demonic in nature. And that Lucas was telling the truth, but he had to wait five days so he can get the right person to bear witness that this was in witchcraft, that this was just a weird happening, but it was not witchcraft. Like that was, it was not a crime against the church. This is just weird, right? So Ken and Deb were discussing what the outcome of this could be. And while they were talking, they looked over and saw writing on the kitchen door. I heard you speak of the awful penny fort at Dur. Why is this? Do you mean to tell the crown? Now this terrified Deb because it clearly meant that Lucas did not need the machine to communicate and could actually just hear their conversations. So now it went from just seeing them in space and time to hearing them. So he can hear their conversations and responded. It's like when my sister talks to my grandma. My grandma will speak to her in Spanish, and then she'll respond in English. It's just like that. So, uh, like, that's terrifying. Like, now at this point, you have no privacy in your own space. They used to think that they were communicating through the machine, but now it's become that their conversations spoken aloud are fodder for Lucas. So they did the only thing they could think of and tried to calm Lucas's fears by letting him know they could be trusted and that they were not going to tell the crown. However, the next time they received the message, it was not from Lucas. Uh, his friend, uh, it was from, I forget if this was, I think this is a guy named John was responding for Lucas. And he said that John had said that he figured out they were from the future and he would have responded sooner, but he was thrown from his horse on the way to witness. Oh, this was the guy that was supposed to come and witness the uh, the events. And so it wasn't witch- witchcraft. I think this guy's name was John. But oh, yeah. but he was thrown from his horse, so he was delayed. Uh, then out of nowhere, he says that he cannot tell them his name. Uh, we find out later his name is John, but he says in this message that he can't tell them his name nor tell them Lucas's true identity. So now two weeks in a row, this has become a classic catfish story, right, Emily? Because this whole time, yeah. Lucas isn't even really Lucas, and now they have no clue who the fuck they're talking to. Lucas isn't even his real name. And they had no idea until John said that, oh, I can't tell you who Lucas is either. So invested. 
Ooh, yeah, 16th century. Can't, 16th century? Yeah, 16th that, century. 16th century. 16th. No one can talk now, here. Now I'm having a stroke. <laughs> right. I think it's just this story, man. It's so fucking confusing. I hope I'm. I hope you guys are keeping up out there because I I couldn't. I, I had to go over the story like five fucking times to understand. I try to break it down as easy as possible, but it is just there's it, so it's many a, names. Like it's going just, back and it's forth, a story. It's yeah, like reading the Bible, you're like, wait, hum, wait, who's married to who now? Yeah, yeah. Are the kids of who? <laughs> what? Who got stoned to death? Yeah. So, and yeah, he was the third nice. cousin of who's? <laughs> <laughs> what? It's like reading Genesis over again. You're like, oh, I'm sorry. I, uh, how many people are involved now? It is a lot. If you haven't read the Bible, just read Genesis and just be confused. With the 18 names in a row. Just, because yeah. it's Joseph, son of Josiah, the third, who was son of whatever. And it just keeps going like eight oh names in a row. I think yeah. it's like eight names in a row, eight like generations in a row. Yeah, they're strange. like, oh, yeah, John was 130 years old. And like, what now? <laughs> So later that week, Ken and Deb had their own person to prove that what they were doing was legit. So Lucas had John, and now Ken and Deb <laughs> invited a man named John Styles. Oh my god! I, mean, I know, dude. Believe me, I'm Henry, you picked a it. you picked a hell of a story, Henry. I'm telling you. So a man named John Styles had called them and informed them informed them that he was a representative from SPR. So they ran John through the whole spiel of everything going on. While John was interested in the case, the old-timey language was not something he cared about. Like to him, that was not like a deciding factor in him him using SPR's funds to investigate the claims. So he was really leaning into this being a poltergeist infestation, but he needed to eliminate other other possibilities before SPR would really dive in and take this seriously. So he told them that they needed to conduct some experiments in order to verify the claims, which basically consisted of locking the house up real good and tight and keeping Ken and Deb away while messages came through. Because as far as John from SPR was concerned, this was a hoax and Ken and Deb were the main suspects. Ken, however, was not down with that plan because he was still remodeling and needed access to the kitchen. And if this was a hoax, it would come out eventually anyway. So he said, no, nah, we ain't doing that shit. It's just not happening. Man, what a um, shitty infestation to have, huh? Yeah. Poltergeist infestation? Hey, you got a poltergeist infestation here. <laughs> yeah, you got uh, a classic case here. I've seen this before. Yeah. What you're going to want to do... What you're going to want to do is you're going to want to cleanse this place and put some holy water here and there. You know what I mean? You want to get rid of these sons of bitches. Now, we're going to tent this house up real nice and we're going to gas this motherfucker out. <laughs> we're going to punch it in the face for you. I don't know. That's, um, that's too much. So uh, they did want SPR's help. So in mid-April 1985, they invited Deb's mom and brother over to stay with them as witnesses to the phenomenon. So now they're trying to prove to SPR by having other witnesses that they are doing, like staying out of the room, you know. So now they have Deb's mom and brother. And uh, they tried to recreate the conditions as best as possible for the messages to come through. Deb was home a lot and Ken would go out, go out to the pub a lot. And hopefully whenever they checked the computer, there would be a message. And while it wasn't always successful, they did notice that a poem showed up on the computer while Deb was in the bathroom and her family was in the living room. That night, Deb had a gnarly dream where she was standing in the middle of the living room and she could see Lucas as clear as day by the fireplace. 
and there was another girl there who seemed frightened of Deb, and apparently that girl was named Catherine, and she happened to be Lucas's 14-year-old wife. And then Lucas told Deb to grab a knife, and Catherine started crying, and Lucas told her to stop crying, and the whole fucking dream was weird and uncomfortable, and showed that Lucas was actually kind of a bully and not as soft and gentle as they had been thinking he was. Because so far in their communication, she's just been like, I'm a goodly man, and you are my friends, you know? But it turns out that he was just a regular dude from the 16th century who bullied women. So the next message was entirely different and had a much more serious tone. You are a foolish scoundrel who has brought nothing less than evil upon the wretch. I hope he comes to no harm, for I guarantee your death by my own hand some way. It was not to be avoided with your charm of lights, and now he sits in the shameful dungeon. It will be your own ruin unless you help Lucas. He will die. If you reveal yourselves to the crown for what you are and display your devilish powers, then his life is saved. Reveal the truth and give no false threats and explain what is necessary, computer, friend. They immediately replied and asked that whoever this was that was typing now, let Lucas come and talk for himself so that they know he is safe and also asked whoever this was to tell them Lucas's real name. They're like, hey, please let Lucas go. Also, what's Lucas's real name? Real quick. Side note, side note, side note. What, what, what's up with him? What's his name, though? Yeah. <laughs> when there was no reply after a few days, Ken tried again and told the Crown he could explain everything if the Crown would just let Lucas go. Oh, and also tell them Lucas's real name. Now, I have spoken with the sheriff who says you ask him to come at short notice, but he will come tomorrow. You have asked the name of Lucas Wenman. For reasons I do not understand, his name is still unknown to me. I hastened to ask him this, but he said you could not tell unless it be your ear alone. He said if this is what it is, help my friend, then I will hasten to press the matter to him. And the sheriff told me that if you could show yourselves what you are, then you must give mighty power to him, and he will request pardon for our friend Lucas, and he will beg the king himself to speak with you and your king. This is a thing that the sheriff himself has not had the pleasure of. Yeah, really so good at that, Will. Sorry, I have to say that. You're really good at that. Yeah, that was fun. That this, this is kind of interesting because he is basically saying, like, I can help you as long as when I help you, whatever power you have that you're using to do this, you transfer to me. So, you know, we, we'll help each other out. You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Oh. Are you thinking about Superbed? <laughs> no. Because <laughs> I'm thinking about Superbed. Yeah. So after this message, there was a lot of back and forth between a man named John, who was Lucas's friend, and Ken. The crown needed proof of the magic box, but they can only get it to Lucas if they move the 1985 box to where Lucas was being held. So like the wherever it is physically at in 1985 is where it it is in 1521. So it it's impossible to know where Lucas is being held. So they couldn't move it even though that's what they were asking of him. They couldn't move it. They didn't know where he was. So they're like, yeah, we we can't really move it. So that's kind of impossible. So after a bit of arguing with John about all this, the next message was from Lucas himself. 
The message basically said that Lucas had been let back into his house, but the sheriff said he was essentially on house arrest. But it didn't matter because Lightsbox was at his house and he can communicate with them. Lucas informed Ken and Deb that when he first received the Lightsbox, it had a note that told him not to reveal too much personal information and to keep things light, which is why he told him his name was Lucas instead of his real name. He also told him that it turns out Lucas is pretty much on death row for his participation in this time traveling story. And uh, his main wish was to write the book about their encounters. Either way, there was really nothing they could do. But if they could figure something out, he would be very grateful. I don't know what he expects them to do from 400 years in the future. But if they can figure it out, please do it. So, again, I don't know how the fuck you can change history. Unless it's like one of those butterfly effect things. And simply partaking in these communications has already altered history completely. But in Lucas's next message, he drops a massive fucking bombshell and um, enormous plot twist to this whole story. My fellow Peter, alas, what can be done? I cannot even take your hand before sentence of death. I must have your words before I bid farewell to good Peter. Long live our Oxford. Lucas, you said your time is 1985? I... I thought you were also from 2109, like your friend who brought the box of lights. Pray tell. Why'd you go Asian at the end? <laughs> Why'd you go no. full Asian at the end? No, no, dude. Uncle Roger. These accents, just, these accents just take a hold, man. Sometimes they, I can't control them. <laughs> you just keep going. They just, they just tr- transition, you know? Go from German, French, Scottish, Asian. <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever happens, happens. Traveling. Yeah. Pray tale. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Uncle Roger. Yeah. So Who's Lucas Uncle Roger. You don't internet enough. So so Lucas thought that Ken and Deb were from the year twenty one oh nine like their friend? Who was this other person who who is from twenty one oh nine that Lucas assumed they were in cahoots with? Was this 2109 the one who left the message telling Lucas not to reveal too much personal information? So Ken decided to call this 2109 out directly by literally typing calling 2109. So they first got a message directed at Lucas from this new participant. Then they got another message aimed at them. Ken, Deb, Peter, we are sorry that we can only give you two choices. One, that you either have... You either have your predicament explained in such a non-rhyme way that you may have instant understanding because of what should not be happened to or... Excuse me. Two, try to understand that you three have a purpose that shall in your life time changes the face of history. We, 2109, must not affect your thoughts directly but give give you some sort of guidance that will allow room for your own destiny. All we can say is that we are all part of the same God, whatever he, is, he, it, or is. So what did 2109 mean by letting them know they could tell them, but then this would all stop? Like, so we could, so basically like the breakdown of that message is we could tell you what's happening, but then this would all stop. Or they could try to figure out their purpose on their own and continue having these messages like why be so cryptic 
it was all very frustrating and things get even more complicated when the initial messages the initial message Lucas received was given to Ken and Peter. My goodly friend, here is my verse, but I think you will make no sense of this thing. I wrote it for a record. Take what is truly yours, it be your confusion before, it affects a man who may be in trouble or danger. Many a year ago since your day, this knack, device, is not incitement. incitement to evil, but the opposite of that, an angel of good fortune for those who shine. Whatever be your motive, questions about important matters from the three that shine, who nonetheless you have seen, will cause the box of lights to be no more. Such conduct shall be your correction, for an easy death is near for a friend of a wise man who chooses. The foul man must see the king to tell him of the cat that frightened a mouse and cure your sickness. Each of you men that have understanding, I do not doubt that your prayers shall be answered so that you may teach wisdom unto the foolish. Be wary, my friend, of your lust. The pudding may burn. I will write tomorrow. I am none too well. Lucas, your loving friend. The pudding may burn. That's... <laughs> That's what he was concerned about. Like he's saying all these like, oh man, all this stuff, but oh wait, I gotta go. The pudding may burn. <laughs> oh no, the pudding. <laughs> so they rang Peter and told him they needed to speak with him right away. So they hopped in the jag and sped off towards Peter's house, and on the way, Deb let let out a laugh and said We're trying to save a man from the sixteenth century. Can I tell my friends, you know, when they ask what we've been doing? Oh, you know, just trying to save a lovely chap who's been dead for about four centuries from this thicko sheriff. We were we were up all night finding out who to do it to. Who to do it to. How, how to do how, it. How, oh, how to do it to. <laughs> Man. Woo, words, huh? Yep. They I like are the thicko sheriff, though. <laughs> yeah. This thicko like, sheriff. Like, this thicko sheriff. What's he doing? <laughs> I remembered when he wrote it's that. I read thicko, it. thicko, dude. So when they got back home, they relayed the message that Peter had put together uh, after reading the message over and over again. And uh, so, yeah, Peter read this message over and over again. He came up with like a, a written response that he was told that he told Ken to write down. And um, he came, Ken, Peter, sorry, Peter had come to the conclusion that Lucas needs to tell the sheriff to give the king a message that 2109 had initially, initially left for Lucas and see if he can't appeal to the king by bowing to his religion and superiority over the church. To which Lucas replied, My friends, I do not know of this thing about man, nor do I know anyone that does. Because of this, deny his loyalty to the king. If it is true, according to the law, he will be a traitor, but he cannot be arrested because it would cause the authorities embarrassment. So he will be told to go away for a while till it is enough time for none to have memory of such an unfavorable act. For by this reason, Foulshut would rejoice to know and be sure to stop my punishment. This would seem a fitting answer. It will also be my rescue. I shall make haste to tell him. So a few days passed after this message and there was no word from Lucas. So Ken wrote to him a few times with no response. 
Then he gets a message and says that he never even got a chance to speak with the sheriff. Like this, the sheriff that uh, Will was just portraying, uh, he never got a chance to speak to him. He never got a chance to tell him to talk to the king um, to try to get him off the hook. But then it turns out tomorrow is his court day. So it seems as though his fate has been sealed. He says that the sheriff could probably have helped him, but he didn't get to him in time. Um, And when the sheriff steps into court, the sheriff essentially has zero power anymore. So time is up. And Lucas then mentions that he says he can hear his 14-year-old wife, Catherine, crying over him and worries that she is too young to be without a man. And even worse, it's very possible that she she will be condemned as a witch right alongside him because, you know, there aren't really any rules to this shit. They could just strap a nose on her and say she's a witch and burn her. So What makes you think she's a witch? Well, she turned me into a newt. <laughs> a newt. I got better. I got better? <laughs> he then asked Ken to write a book for Lucas about their experience, which obviously he did since that was my source for this entire episode. Ken wrote the fuck out of that book. Yeah. And he is not an author. I cannot iterate, reiterate what? enough how you don't say how stressful <laughs> this book was. Um, so after this last message, they didn't hear from Lucas anymore. And life in the cottage was gloomy because they couldn't save their 16th century friend. Weeks had passed and then suddenly it was May and Deb had gotten a call from a friend working on the cottage that there was weird writing they couldn't understand in the kitchen. So they immediately got Peter to come over and they found Latin words written on their kitchen floor, which translated to Peter, you ask too much. Furthermore, Lucas went to his death. He brought death upon himself. The God's will. So then Ken checked out a computer again that weekend and reached out to 2109 for help with finding out who left the chalk message. But the responses he got back from them left them with more questions than answers because they were leaving one word responses for like a week. And after that, they finally got a legit message, which said, First, what help do you require? If you wish to Lucas Wayman's true name. If you wish to know Lucas Wayman's true name. We can say no more than the name Peter. Than the man named Peter. As it, page 26, the person whom you refer to as John is not to be trusted. Also, there is nothing to fear outside man. True, but are you not fully capable of knowing just what man really is? Without knowledge, you have fear, and fear you create your own nightmares. Obviously, this is just more cryptic bullshit, and Ken wanted direct answers, so he asked 2109 again what Lucas's real name was and where his trial was held. But the next message was not from 2109, it was from Lucas's friend John asking them to give him the power of the computer or he won't be telling them anything about Lucas. Fortunately for Ken and Peter, the librarian they had been talking to about this specific history uh, figured that the messages was referring to where Peter lived in, which was Howarden. So she looked up the last name Howarden and came up with an actual person named Thomas Howarden. It could be Harden. I don't fucking know. Again, yell at me. However, Peter had found there was another man named John Howarden and figured this must be him because Lucas's friend was named John. 
So he must just be pretending to be Lucas's friend, but it's really just Lucas as John Howarden. And also Thomas Howarden was like a principal of a school and where they lived in Doddleston, where the cottage was, was like a rural area. And there's no way a principal of a school would retire or go home to a pigsty, essentially. So like this guy, John Howarden must be him. So with his new information, Peter decided to host SPR at his house for what he called an exploratory meeting. And the SPR representatives coming were two men named John Bucknell and Dave Welch. After Ken, Peter, and Deb spent some time trying to convince these gentlemen that the SPR should spend some of their already minimal resources on investigating this, they agreed to at least check out the cottage. So they drove over and the two men began taking notes of all possible entry points that could be easily accessed and also made it a point to once again tell them that they were all the main suspects of a hoax until they can see for themselves that this was indeed an unexplainable phenomenon. The very next day, Deb had dropped Ken off at school and made her way back to the cottage to find that all the cats were sitting outside on the garden wall just watching Deb, which was weird because usually they would swarm her excited about feeding time, but here they were just eerily chilling on the wall. When Deb opened the front door, she immediately saw that all the furniture from the living room was stacked in a six-foot pile on one side of the room, so she said nope and slowly backed up out the front door and slammed the, the door closed and she just stood outside trying to gather her thoughts she decided that instead of walking through the house to see what the rest of the house looked like she would just peek through the windows on the outside and quickly found that the rest of the house was also pretty messed up things were just tossed everywhere there was kitchen rolls just everywhere and uh willy-nilly all over the place cat cat tins were there and two liter bottles were everywhere So after this, Ken again reached out to 2109 for answers, but of course they just replied with the same shit about having two choices and being all fucking cryptic. And because of this, Ken was kind of over this whole fucking thing. This was all very exhausting to them. And at this point, Ken was only still bringing the computer home so that he can prove to SPR that this was really happening. So if it weren't for SPR, he would essentially been like, I'm just not going to check out computers anymore. I'm, I'm done. But it's crazy, though, because 2109 and John have been responding pretty much instantly now, but all their answers weren't helpful at all. Then one of the messages was different. This new message was from a new person named Thomas who said he was a friend of Lucas. And it turns out this was Thomas Falhurst, who was an actual sheriff of the town. Like, he was provably in the history books that he was a sheriff of um, Doddleston at the time. And he tells Ken that Lucas did manage to ask him to tell the king, but Thomas wanted more clarification on what exactly he was asking the king. Meanwhile, SPR was busy bugging the cottage, and they set up a command center in the spare bedroom. And since a lot of it was centered around Deb, they had her stay with them while Peter and Ken went out to the pub. These first experiments wouldn't clear the name of a hoax, but it would mean that there was no one sneaking in and typing all this shit. But nothing happened, but no one snuck in. But even though they sat all day and left messages for Falhurst, Falshurst? I think it's Falshurst, no messages were received while SPR was there, so they packed up and said they would be back in a few weeks to try again. While they waited, Deb had taken to, to talking to Falshurst to try and get Lucas's real name. And as the conversation went on, the sheriff's tone changed from authoritative to sounding as if he wasn't even entirely sure that Lucas was actually dead. 
He never outright said he didn't know, but he stopped referring to Lucas as dead altogether, like he did when they first started talking to him. So at first he was like, you know, that message where your friend Peter uh, Lucas is dead. He stopped doing that altogether. Wow. Um, level of catfishing is hmm, scary. Yeah, no one can be trusted. Not even 16th century people. Not even a sheriff. <laughs> Not even a sheriff in 16th century Nottingham. <laughs> Nottingham. Because he was, he was he a bear who stole money? He was a big old bear, wasn't he? Yeah. Mm, yes. Yes. No. Yeah, it was. Sheriff, Sheriff Nottingham was a bear, and then Robin was a fox. Yeah. And then was the, it the bear the, or was the it the friar. wolf? The friar was a bear. Too many. I don't know. No, Too many the animals. Was a bad guy. Yeah. Wait, he was. The bear was uh was friends with Robin Hood. He wasn't the one stealing money. The, the friar was the bear, but who? So the big, so the sheriff of the Nottingham wolf was, was the a, king. Right. No, he's a lion. Oh my gosh. Is a lion or a wolf? King, because he's he's a lion. I think King uh, Henry, right? No, wait. Oh, I, I don't know. I digress. <laughs> <laughs> you can't we trust digress. bears. You can't <laughs> trust bears, lions, and tigers. Oh my. Oh my. But but with the increase of communication between Deb and Falchers, Deb started having weird dreams about Lucas again, and she began singing in her sleep. The song was a kind of hymn that prisoners would sing when being locked away in some dungeon somewhere. And this idea that Lucas was actually still alive was reinforced by the notion that the lights box could not be working if Lucas was no longer alive. So they called Falshurst out on it and said that they know Lucas is alive because they have heard him singing. It seems like this accusation was not very well received as pieces of pipe had started being thrown about the kitchen every now and then. And on one occasion, Ken heard a scream from the kitchen and ran in to find that a piece of pipe had hit Deb on the shoulder. So uh, on a suggestion from one of Ken's co-workers, they wrote to the sheriff and decided to threaten uh, the man by telling him that if he does not admit the truth and bring Lucas back, then the sheriff's soul will be damned to hell. And remember, these people are the lights box people, so they, the 16th century people believe that they have some kind of mystical power and that this, that's how this is all possible. So it worked. And after a few more messages from the sheriff, they received this message. My three true friends, I do weep so. And I am again free to be with my friends again, at least for a short time. It is wrong that I cannot hold you close, but I am only to show such love for my friends on the limbs. I know you as well as my own family since your time was open to me. Before that, I never knew friendship so true, though it is over many years of change and we are so often confused. But I need your words so that I may take comfort from them. I must rest so that I may speak with you tomorrow, or else I will make no sense of my words to my good friends. I need time to weep, Lucas. So Ken, Deb, and Peter were ecstatic that they were right about Lucas being alive. And even though it was super weird that Deb had dreams that he that he knew Lucas was alive, or she knew Lucas was alive, it was super weird to them. They didn't think much of it because what wasn't weird in their lives anymore? Like, this was just another fucking weird thing. So like, yeah, I guess that's sure. I, I don't know. There's nothing that can surprise them anymore. But not all was well with Lucas, obviously. He was dealing with a lot. And then he found out his 14-year-old wife, Catherine, was hanging around with, as he put it, 
gross beggars, and others of outlandish fashions in a tavern. And Lucas was actually unsure of how to persuade her to return to him. Deb had another dream about Lucas, but didn't want to tell Ken about it for some reason, and kept it to herself. And the next day, they got another message from Lucas asking Deb if she thinks he is a joke. Because even though Lucas knows Deb saw him in her dreams, she refused to tell anyone about what happened. The messages started coming faster and faster, and the responses were almost immediate. immediate. So when school was out, Ken and Deb were so invested that they actually went out and bought their own computer. With a computer in the house at all times, the SPR investigation ramped up, and Lucas had sent a message to them asking who these other people in his house were, and if they were here to make the box go away. Because according to Lucas, the sheriff had told him that when the SPR got near the machine, it actually faded out of existence from the 16th century and only came back when the SPR were not around. So when Ken told Lucas that these men, what these men were doing, he agreed to cooperate since he trusted Ken to not make a fool of him. Lucas's main concern was that these investigators were not from a government and that they would take the lights box and like it would be used as their plaything and change history. But Lucas was looking out for, I guess, his own credibility and just not wanting the government to step in and do nefarious things, I guess. So it sounds like. I guess. I don't know, this whole thing's fucking weird. This whole thing is fucking weird. So weird. Uh, so things got a little weirder when Deb had a dream. Or, okay, this is really this is really strange. So, Deb had a dream, or maybe it wasn't a dream, but it was an encounter with Lucas in which she was in the room with him, and they were being playful with each other, and they played with some candles and made little cutesy jokes, like wearing, like Deb put on his hat. And then and she put it on. And after she put it on, she was like, shit, I didn't even stop to think if it had lice or some shit. <laughs> but she didn't want to be rude to by taking it off. You know, she didn't want to be like, ew, icky. So she left it on the whole time while she was in this dream world with Lucas. And then after a couple, after a while, Lucas sat down on the bed and got a little serious in tone. Then he motioned for her to sit down next to him. But she was like super uncomfortable with with trying to him having her sit next to him and she wasn't trying to do all that so she tried to play it off by making like playful jokes then he asked again but she was like nah like ken would be worried by now and i don't you know this seems inappropriate then the next time he didn't ask her he told her to sit down next to him and grabbed her arm and pulled her down so she was sitting next to him then he covered her legs with a blanket and he touched her arm and hand and made a comment about how soft she is and wondered aloud if he were 400 years younger or if she was 400 years older, they could be something together. But then Deb got up and walked out and threw the hat back at him. Like, just like, I'm fucking leaving. I'm gone. Like, and then like the, the whole thing ended. The dream or whatever it was, was done. But that whole thing was just super fucking weird. And it genuinely in the book was not clear if this was a dream or not. It's just... Uh, dream possibly almost dream rape i'm not I sure think, yeah that's uh wow because he's a 16th century man like he's gonna have his yeah good, like, good, I, good luck bringing that into court yeah <laughs> no statute no, no statute of limitations no 400 years 400 years <laughs> might do it yeah, no, i think they might make, make a precedent there <laughs> no yeah super weird but 
After this, 2109 made their presence known again. David, more answers than you have questions, but what are the right questions? A man cannot ask questions if he is unlikely to understand the answers. Yes, you are correct to say that one will not learn without questions, but there is a time to understand and a time to walk blindly. A man with hunger will eat bad fruit and surely die. Was it the fruit that killed this man, or was it the knowledge that the fruit was there for the taking? Now do not waste further time by asking if the tree that bears this bad fruit is in front of you. It is better to have no knowledge at all than to have a distorted view of the truth because of your lack of understanding. We, 2109, are not without compassion, but if you continue to disrupt our experiments, then it is likely you will find your destiny. We shall, however, allow one more communication with you so that you may ask your profound questions. We shall answer as you wish, if in terms of physics, then it shall be so. But remember that our limits are set by your own abilities and not ours. There is no one after man that you can call Lucas. The chance factor will not reoccur again in the time span your kind can relate to. So it turns out, it turns out that 2109 had been intercepting messages from Lucas because 2109 didn't want him to communicate with SPR at all because he said Lucas cannot comprehend the gravity of what speaking directly to SPR could do. So he just, as 2109, just cut it off completely, never even sent the messages. So because of this, Deb took it upon herself to leave pencil and paper out for Lucas to just completely skip using the computer altogether. And hopefully 2109 could not intercept these messages anymore. And it worked. Lucas had left a message next to the kitchen table and asked them to put the computer where he had left the message so he can use the computer again to leave messages. I I'm not sure why he thought moving the physical location would make a difference, but they did it anyway. I think possibly where he moved it to was like more hidden in his own home so that, you know, the authorities in the 16th century can't like see directly into his home and see that he's still using the computer. But either way, I don't know if he was hiding from the sheriff or from 2109, but they did it. And then once the computer was in the awkward place, he asked them to leave it. He left a message thanking them for their cooperation and told them it's very likely you guys have already figured out my real name. In the next message, he tells them to try Tom instead of John with the last name of the place where Peter lived, which was Howarden. And also, Thomas Howarden was the name that the librarian had suggested so many months ago. When they looked up more about Thomas Howarden, it turns out he was attending school at Brazenose College and had been expelled for expunging the name of the Pope in December of 1538. When they told Lucas, I mean Thomas, actually, he wanted to refer to as Lucas, so we're going to keep calling him Lucas. Anyways... Well, they, when they told Lucas of their finding, he thought it was funny that they got the reason for his expulsion wrong. But Peter was not convinced until the librarian dug a little deeper and did find out that Lucas had been expelled for not crossing out the Pope's name. It turns out this well-educated man was in the tiny rural village of Doddleston because he was hiding out from what was called the Henrican Revolution. No clue what that is. If you know, please submit your essay paper for review and uh, I'll get back to you. Any uh, uh, history buffs out there, please give us a full description of whatever the Henrican Revolution is. Thanks. 
So over the course of the next couple of days, Ken had been feeling sad and honestly just wanted this whole thing to be over with. So Lucas wrote to him, kind of mocking in a way by telling him that when Ken gets older, like Lucas, there will be no need for sadness. Plus, Lucas didn't want to hear his complaining or crying. But at the same time, he offered to write some poems from his time that Lucas thought would be helpful to Ken in restoring their friendship since Lucas assumed Ken was upset because of their friendship. Then he ended the message by telling them that he had heard a rumor that his 14-year-old wife Catherine had been burned at the stake for being a witch. You know, no big. What makes you think she's... <laughs> well, she's turned me into a newt! God damn it. A newt. You have too much power, Will. <laughs> I do. Slowly... Oh, you still going? <laughs> well, they did. They did burn her. Um, I also found out about the what you're talking about. The Henrican Revolution? Uh, it's actually the Henrican Reformation. Oh. oh. Which was the English Refor Reformation. Uh, it took place in the 16th century uh, when the Church of England broke away from the authority of the Pope and the Roman Catholic Church. So that's why the king, why he was in jail for not crossing out the name of the Pope. Yes. Oh, that makes much more sense. I just this story was just so convoluted. I didn't really have time to do all my side quests that I usually do. Yeah. So thank you. Was, uh, I appreciate that. Is the immediate cause uh, the Reformation in England under Henry the five six five six seven eighth in the 1530s. <laughs> <laughs> Well done. Well done. Uh, uh, in the fifteen thirties, uh, mm. it was political and personal. Yeah. It was, Sounds uh, like it. So yeah, he, he did not want to divorce. His it seems wife as though blah 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 blah. So then, it seems yeah. as though Lucas was on the side of the church, which is why he was hiding out in this uh, rural town, this yeah. rural village. Hmm. Well, there you go. Thank you. That really does help as context. So slowly but surely, SPR's enthusiasm for the case had definitely gone down noticeably, mainly because of 2109's intervention. So John decided to ask Ken to write out a list of 10 questions for 2109 and see what response they get because the fact was that John Bucknell did not seem interested in what 2109 had to say. So he wanted to direct the conversation um, in his own favor. So again, these messages happened while they were not there, SPR that is. Uh, so the, this particular message he got in response was kind of the final straw because it kind of acknowledged the 10 questions, but not really. David, John, David, you interfere with communications next time you decide to perform your little experiment. You must be clear. From here, we suggest you try someone else to sit with Debbie. Yes, we are what you would call a tachyon universe, but you understand incorrect. You under your understanding is incorrect. We ask you nothing more Nothing more of you than to carry on as you would prefer. We will have John present if given choice, and we may bring another as another as before mentioned. No, it is of no concern to you that it is not proved. We will give you plotting of the next star time. The star plotting of a star next time. We move as a speed so that we could recover every point and in time your universe. We have no form. We feed on that on the energy that you will have not heard of 2109. Words, man. Yeah. And <laughs> sorry, my headphones just died. 
to, to keep 2109. That'll, that'll, that'll be the name of our uh, episode. Words. <laughs> Words are hard. Yeah. <laughs> so to keep 2109 from interfering further, the communication with Lucas had been relegated to pen and paper. Through this form of messaging, they were able to figure out that 2109 had been straight up tampering with their communication the entire time and had actually changed certain messages before they were given to the recipient. And then some other times, 2109 even made up entire messages for Lucas to give to Ken and Ken to give to Lucas. Like they didn't write them, yet they still received them. So Lucas sent over as many original messages as he could remember for better context of what he meant in the original messages and to show Ken like the true meaning of his words instead of the rewrites that 2109 was doing. You know, 2109 was just trying to steer the conversation in a certain way and make make it go in a certain direction communication-wise. I don't know. He was trying to... I don't know. What's the words I'm looking for? He Trying, trying to feed to them, yeah, yeah. He's trying to feed them information the way he wanted them to. Yeah, he was trying to feed them the way he wanted them to understand it. So Fake he would, news. yeah, exactly. He would change messages, take away parts, or you know, add on to it. So he was interfering, or twenty one or nine, whatever the it is, was interfering entirely for their own sake. So now with the pen and paper, they were able to get the messages across more clearly. Despite them clearing up the message, however, SPR had given up entirely because of lack of proof. Every time they were there, nothing would happen. And then as soon as they leave, here, here's a message. So, so Peter actually suggested that they contact a local newspaper to try and get their story out. Ken got a hold of the SPR uh, to try and retrieve records for the story that they were going to give to the news. But they were actually told no such story existed because it turns out John Bucknell had retired recently. And I don't know if he took the paperwork with him, but then Dave Welch, the second guy that came from the SPR, he wasn't even actually a member of the SPR. But regardless, at the end of 1985, the paper ran the story, but had it had put it towards like the back, and it was actually at the very bottom of the page underneath some fluff piece about like puppy shoes or something. So clearly, just like John and Dave, the newspaper did not take their story seriously either. Puppy shoes? Yeah. <laughs> pretty sure I, I the picture of the article I saw was underneath puppy shoes. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. Huh, that's when you know you've gone too far in the newspaper. You're like, I'm looking at puppy shoes. Yeah. Puppy I shoes. Can post this damn thing up. In 1985, <laughs> or the end of 1985, puppy shoes. Yeah. There's no more news going on after this. <laughs> True, truly innovative stuff. So after the disaster with the paper and the SPR, 2109 reached out again to try to help their situation and told them about a very real ufologist that lived in Wales named Gary M. Rowe. Brow? Row? Anyways, but just like SPR and the newspapers, Gary's group called Forward to Aquarius, which was a paranormal and psychical research organization, um, they also thought the whole thing was a hoax, like straight up right away. They're just like, yeah, this sounds pretty made up. But regardless, uh, Gary decided he still wanted to check it out. So he came out anyway, and over several back and forth messages from 2109, actually straight to Gary, like Ken was instructed to not even look at the late at the letters. Um, like he he they were like put this message in a new in a envelope and then give that to Gary and then Gary would write his message in an envelope and give and put it down where twenty one nine could get to it. And Ken never knew what was said between them. He never knew what the conversation between twenty one nine and Gary was. But whatever the conversation said, whatever twenty one nine said to Gary, 
it turned Gary into a true believer. Then, to wrap this all up, in March of 1986, Lucas sent his final message ever. My true fellows and sweet maid, Grosvenor has said that Thomas must go. I know it is for the best because the people of Dalderson are very wary of me. Grosvenor says that they will burn my old farm down and that, except for him, all the village despises me. At least that is his view. And it is good to know that all will change and there are true men to follow like Ken and Peter. Though 400 years is a long time and there is much to happen to mankind, it is sad that men must learn righteousness from their ugly ways, believing that they have to look for truth in ruthlessness and never follow a path that is for truth. I pray for my fellows at night that they are never imprisoned because of their love for their brother Thomas. Are we not true men? I say, woe to all you all men who are not true, for you are mocked by God. He will not have your company, but you will walk with the beast of Tartarus forevermore. Yes, you that have no worth in this life. I know that I mustn't sorrow, for I cannot put these feelings to paper. But you must know that I weep and am emotional. And I find it hard to write. Perhaps you will come to Oxford now. I think there is no danger for me there. For I hear the king is very sick and all is quiet in the church. I shall go by boat from Chester to Bristol. There I will buy a horse from mine and will not go on a boat. It is as scared of water as it is scared of fives. I also weep for him. I, and I shall try to make my stay at Brazenose. Though I know I was expelled many years ago, I will write my book about my brothers and maid, and of the end of Lucas and the little puppy and of our love for each other. And one day you will all sit down at my table for wine and meat by the river in Oxford, where we shall read each other's books and laugh, and we shall speak of truth and good men, watching Oxford change together forevermore. In your time, my book is old, but I shall not go to my God until it is written. Then we will all be truly embraced. My love to you all, and I shall await you in Oxford. Thomas Harden. So that was the last message that uh, Lucas himself ever left. Um, and actually, to, like the same, like right after this message received, uh, the last ever message came through, and it was from 2109, and that actually said, Ken, Deb, Peter, true are the nightmares of those that fear. What you fear will be your reality if you let it. Believe in yourselves. Safe are the bodies of the silent world. As long as your kind cannot penetrate our world, we are safe. Turn, pretty flower, turn towards the sun, for you shall grow and sow, but the flower reaches too high and withers in the burning light. Knowledge will be your progress, but your kind are coming close to getting their fingers burnt. Indirectly, you may prevent this. Get out your bricks. Get ready to build. Pussycat, pussycat went to London to seek fame and fortune. The cat went to visit the queen, but instead frightened a little mouse under the chair. Ultimately, London will be a significantly significant place. Stick to your main aims. It doesn't matter how hard they seem to get. 
Do not be distracted by that tiny mouse that has a deceiving charm. Faith must not be lost. You all rely on each other's faith. There is another person to come. They will be the help we need. You will know them when they come. Thomas did eventually write his book and soon died shortly after. He placed it in a secure place. It shouldn't take too many years to find it, though he wrote it in Latin with the help of a friend that he met in Oxford. The inscription reads, Me writes this in the hope that mine fellows will one day find this book. Then may our lands be not so distant. We will finish now. You have a lot of work to do. There is no need for you to write back as we will have gone. Thank you for your cooperation. 2109. And with that, we end our story of the Doddleston Messages, or as it was called by Ken Webster, the Vertical Plane. So, any thoughts at all? So many names. Uh, I still have no idea what is going on. (laughs) Not at all. After all that, I'm like, uh, so pen pals in different eras? Yeah, essentially, yes. Yeah. But also, no. (laughs) Yeah, though. Yeah, you're right. No. I don't know. I don't even think Ken knows. There is just so much, like, minutia in between. Like, trying to... Oh, and I left a lot out, dude. I left a lot out. That book is so tedious. I like, cannot imagine how much more you could have put in, though. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't know, man. I tried. I tried to make it as uh, easy to understand and also interesting. I knew that Will would perk it up with his voice, but really, it's it's a lot to understand. Um, it might take a listener to, or maybe you just look it up for yourself. I don't know, but uh, yeah, Ken Webster also like after this, like I don't know if he changed his name or what, but he just disappeared. He he did not want any part of this anymore just gone like, i'm sure he's out there but uh, i think one it... one time they interviewed him and they were talking to him but he they wouldn't he would not let them put the camera on his face so it's like him and i think it's deb sitting next to him uh like sitting on a grass and the they're facing away from the camera while the interviewer faces the camera so i think that's the only time they've spoke out at all but there are other people from the story i think john or even gary I don't know. I don't remember exactly who, but some of the people are on the forums and like Reddit about this who are willing to talk. So you can find their firsthand accounts as well of all this. But yeah, other than that, man, that's really all I got on this. Henry, again, thank you for submitting this. It was interesting to say the least, buddy, but I did it for you. I did it for you, buddy. Any this is, just goes to show if I can do this story as a fan request, I can do your story too if you just request it. Yeah, just request them. <laughs> yeah, we will do them. But no, genuinely, thank you, Henry. This It was interesting. It's just so hard to convey how to tell the story. But I did find it interesting. I'm not going to lie. It was it was a trip. So again, thanks, man. You guys got anything? Thanks, Henry. We really thanks, Henry. enjoy fan-entered topics. And that was yeah, like a to, hell of a uh, one yeah. to pick. Yeah. Henry the 5, 6, 7, 8 on Instagram, right? Yeah. Wait. V-I-I-I-8. <laughs> <clears throat> no, that was uh, that's fun. I like to stretch my uh, my vocal range a little bit sometimes. You sure did that. <laughs> yeah, I sure did. <laughs> uh, 
Emily, if you if you're able to, can you tell us the socials? <laughs> yeah, bloodthirstypod at gmail.com, at bloodthirsty times on Facebook and Instagram, and at bloodthirstypod on Twitter. And don't forget, you can leave us voice messages on anchor.fm. Um, and we'll put those messages on the podcast if you leave a nice enough message. If you're mean, we won't. Yeah. Um, we might. But yeah, like I said, if you guys have any things that you want to uh, listen or have our version of it told, just let us know in the comments or send us messages and we'll do it. Even if it is entirely confusing. Yep. For sure. Definitely. We love our fans. Oh, we do. We love our fans. Yeah. We'll catch you guys next week, huh? Yep. All right, guys. Bye. 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 Bye.